Hi, this is Stephen E. Gordon, character designer for X-Men Evolution, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome yet again to another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm the musician, longtime Disney Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan, Al John Go. And you can email me at aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, how are you this week? I am wonderful, Dave. I'm just a little bit under the weather, and it's only because of allergies. They okay. are in full effect once again. I think I've been saying this week after week, it seems. I, yeah, but, I, I'm I'm glad it's only allergies, you know? Yes, uh, But <laughs> hey, listen, we, we've got a great show, though. Absolutely. Um, I have to say, uh, we've got the Nebraska State Poet, Matt Mason yes, uh, on the show, and uh, I'm excited about this. We're going to be talking about poetry and uh, his new collection of poems about Disneyland. I love that, and he's so talented, and it's great to have a writer here offering his perspective and influences, especially with Disney. I love the tie-in, so looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we had a lot of, uh, email activity this week. We, we had listener feedback, not only in emails, but also, uh, podcast reviews. Absolutely. I I, I want to, and I want to jump right in on this. Okay. You got it. Just let me, let me do this. (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited, but okay, go for it. Well, you know, listen, we we got this wonderful note. It said, just wanted to compliment you for another great show. I was so flattered that you liked my suggestion about Disney and World War II, and it did not disappoint. You were so knowledgeable about that particular time, and I learned a lot. One of the things I really admire about the show is you don't sound like Disney PR when you talk. If something isn't good or has a problem, you are honest about it. And as much as I admire Disney, which is a lot, not every single thing can be perfect. And I like uh, how you talk about that honesty, uh, that honestly and openly. Once again, keep up the great work. Looking forward to more great shows. And that's from our listener, Scott. Uh, Well, thank you, Scott. And I got to say, Al John and I, Go ahead, Al John. Let let the audience rip. Yes, there you go. Good job. Thank you, Scott. We appreciate it, Scott. Um, I I have to say, Al John and I, uh, it's all about authenticity and honesty. Gotta be. It's gotta be because otherwise people can hear and, and see through that stuff. And 
And mm-hmm. I think one thing that brings us all together is just our love for for the brand and, and the stuff that mo- so many people, countless people have built uh, over the decades for it. So thank you, Scott. Uh, that's what we try to do. And you'll get nothing but honesty from us for sure. And uh, we got another uh, note uh, from uh, Jamie, or excuse me, uh, Janine Ryder. Uh, and she says, FYI, David Lesjack has a book, Service with Character, the Disney Studios of World War II, that's available on Amazon, also available on Kindle. For those wanting more information on this subject, Diane Disney Miller used him as a consultant for the exhibit at the Walt Disney Family Museum and several items in the exhibit are from his collection. And I want to say thank you, Janine, for pointing that out. I actually know David Lesjack. I have his book, Service with Character, the Disney Studios in World War II. And he's really terrific. And I reached out to him and we're going to book him as a guest uh, on our show and uh, in a month or so and uh, have him on and talk a little bit more about some of the other facets of Disney and World War II. So thank you, Janine and uh, David, there's your shout out and we're looking forward to having you on the show. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I for some reason doing that, uh, that search, I missed that book, but you know, I did find that Disney during World War II book with John Baxter, but it's mm-hmm. out of print. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd love to see more of that insignia. Maybe, maybe Disney will, will authorize another run of that, that book because it's, it's pretty cool. And I'd yeah. love to see more of it. Well, Dave, not only did we get some outstanding emails this week, but we've got some awesome reviews, podcast reviews, and uh, we're doing quite well, actually. So uh, check this out. This is from July 31X. Uh, it says, good history. But if you want to listen to the guest, there is some quality discussion in between Bossert's monologues. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, so that that's very good. Thank you for that feedback there, July thirty first X, and then Mac Mama eight post interviews extraordinaire. Great podcast full of good information and interviews that create an oral history. So glad it's being preserved. How about that, Dave? I know. And this one, I think, is from someone that we know. This is from MT Mason 2017. (laughs) Great conversations every week. It's a treat to listen to the Disney conversation between Al, John, and Dave. And then with special guests they bring in, it ends up being a lesson in pop culture, animation, and the movie business, all sounding like a few friends sitting around a table shooting the breeze. Well... Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate I, that. I, I like that. I mean, I, I want people to feel like they're a fly on the wall, you know, uh, with these conversations. I, yeah. I, I think it's fun. I think it's enlightening. And, uh, you know, it's it's good stuff. I love it. Last one here from Paul Matthew. Awesome podcast. Skull Rock is a great podcast for any Disney fan. And really any Disney fan or fan of entertainment in general. Al John and Dave do a great job as hosts, and both guys have an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Disney. The episode featured between uh, Rick Baptist. Oh, that was phenomenal. He liked that old uh, old school show. That's awesome. I've been listening oh, that's to That's awesome. Rick, Rick is a great guy. We love him. Yeah, check it out in the uh, show archive. Uh, Rick is an amazing musician, so please check that out. He was uh, involved in Soul and the Rocky movies. So listening to Rick's superb trumpet playing on the film soundtracks for years, it was so interesting to hear his insight. Thank you so much, Al, John, and Dave, for an awesome podcast. Keep them coming. So thank you so much for those great reviews. And don't forget, whether you're on... Uh, Apple Podcast or Google 
or Amazon or whatever, you know, uh, Spotify, please leave us those five-star reviews if you believe we deserve it. Uh, we do appreciate it and send us those reviews and we'll read them in an upcoming show. And we love getting them, by the way, because it makes us feel like uh, we have uh, listeners out there. I love it. I love it. So please, please keep them coming. And it does help the algorithm. You know, the algorithm is ever changing. So we want to make sure that we keep up with everything. That said, Dave, it looks like uh, we've been streaming some things this week and keeping an eye on the world of pop culture. Uh, Before we get into the news, what have you been watching this week? Well, you know, uh, I did go see everything, everywhere, all at once uh, in the movie theater, and <laughs> I loved that film. Okay, uh, it, it is a fast-paced, frenetic, crazy. Uh, you have to go see it. I mean, it's a really interesting movie, and it was very entertaining. Nice, I like that. Uh, uh, the, the other thing I want to mention is that um, I did watch a limited series. It's six episodes. It's called Anatomy of a Scandal on Netflix. I thought it was excellent. It's from David E. Kelly. Uh, oh, yeah. Who's, who's done tons of uh, procedural crime shows and those types of things. Uh, but Anatomy of a Scandal uh, was uh, an excellent uh, limited series on Netflix. I'm continuing to watch Tokyo Vice on uh-huh. HBO Max, and yes. it's getting really good. It's got Ken Watanabe in it. Yep. Uh, it's, it's in English and Japanese, and it's... Actually, you know, I have to say, I don't normally like to read my, uh, uh, you know, content like that. You know, yeah. the the uh, the movie content yes. or or TV shows. Uh, but I have to say, this is really well done, and it it flows very nicely. Oh, good. Good. That's yeah. the one thing that we don't do at home because I love to do the subtitles and we'll occasionally watch them. But it's hard for my wife to get into it, you know, when mm-hmm. I talk to Kristen. So typically it's yeah. a pass for us when we have to do subtitles. But uh, hey, that's great. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people like that. And and listen, I'm I'm sort of I lump myself into that group as well. But I have to say, Tokyo Vice, it's worth it, and cool. uh, it's uh, really a, a good show. I also watched the first episode of Outer Range with Josh Brolin. Now that's intriguing. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, and it's a really interesting. It's got uh, Liv Taylor in it as well, and um, it. It was an interesting first episode, but I have to say, this is one of those shows where I think you have to give it more than the first episode. Yeah, I, where I'm going to watch uh, the next episode, and I'm hoping that it, it gets a little bit better. But yeah. the first episodes sometimes are a little tough because they're introducing characters and the dynamics of those characters and whatnot. Uh, just like I commented on Moon Knight, uh, because I'm I'm caught up on all the episodes that have dropped on Moon Knight on Disney Plus, uh-huh. and I think I said the first episode was so confusing I had no clue as to what was going on. Yep. And until the very end, it started to come together. Yes. And the subsequent episodes, it's a really good show. It is, isn't it? It really is a good show and we're really enjoying it. I have to tell you, including, by the way, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Marley, uh, is not a big Marvel superhero fan. She doesn't really want to watch those kinds of things. Yes. This is the first uh, uh, character from the Marvel universe that she's 
watching this show and she loves it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, that, that seems to, uh, this show seems to resonate with a lot of people uh, differently than the other films. And I think it's because of the subject matter and how they're, they're dealing with it or how they're yeah. trying to tell the story. So I agree with that 100%. I thought this last episode was, was very eye opening, and uh, it makes me look forward to the last two episodes of this series. So there you go. Yeah, that's great. So uh, I'm I'm thrilled with that. Very so that cool. that's it for me. I, I I kind of you know caught up on a few things, and uh, I, and it was a very very busy week for me. So yeah, uh, I was surprised I actually got the chance to squeeze some of this stuff in. Well, that's great. And by the way, speaking of squeezing stuff in, I did listen to your driving podcast. And, oh, how'd you like it? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. And, and your story <laughs> about boosting cars and, and getting in that uh, Dukes of Hazard kind of uh, that yeehaw going over the edge of that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I think today, you know, if somebody says, uh, are, are you boosted? I, I pause for a second and I'm thinking to myself, no, I haven't boosted a car since I was 13. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm oh, the oh, only you mean one. The, you mean the vaccine booster. Okay. Yeah. You know what's hilarious is because I, 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 I found myself saying that last week on the podcast about boosting a car and I said I am totally dating myself by using that terminology because who <laughs> says you boosted a car Dave I mean that's like I don't even <laughs> where did that come yeah, from I, I, <laughs> it's like I sound like my dad <laughs> but uh, you boosted a car so no that's great no but uh, it was a very enjoyable podcast so I refer back to uh, the, that link uh, it was a very enjoyable podcast to hear something uh, to hear Dave talk about something that uh, is it's not Disney really Disney related at no, all, right? It, was, it wasn't Disney yeah. related. It was, it was cool. But, uh, you know, this week, my wife and I ended up watching Fresh, which is a original film on Hulu that was just recently released. It was the um, stars uh, Sebastian Stan from uh, Marvel Winter Soldier fame and Daisy Edgar Jones. Great cast, directed by Mimi Cave, and the and the boiler is uh, the horrors of modern dating seen through one young woman's defiant battle to survive her new boyfriend's unusual appetites. Yikes! Yeah, so there's a lot. Uh, I feel like the cinematography, the mood, is very much 1979, and I really appreciate that because it has that nice kind of. Uh, yellowish gold hue among the yeah. the things, the furniture, everything about it looks very dated, but in a really good way, kind of yeah, very good way. So the cinematography, the lighting director was really good in it, but the acting is wonderful, and it's um, it harkens back to some of those. I don't want to say exploitation films of the late seventies, but it does have a little bit of that vibe. And if you check out the art um, for the movie poster, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's very much in that. Um, it's very much in that vein, but okay. I thought the acting was great. And if you love the twists and you love the turns of this kind of dark comedy, horror thriller, I think uh, this is for you. Sebastian Stan is amazing. And uh, Daisy Edgar Jones is also very good. And then uh, the wife and I also catch up on our procedurals. You mentioned, uh, you know, procedurals. And we love Law & Order SVU. Melissa Hargitay is great. Uh, we've been watching that for 20 years plus. So we love that ensemble. But we also uh, have this kick for musical game shows. So uh, we, we 
often end up yelling at each other over the TV about who could name that tune. So we were watching the reboot of Name That Tune and uh, catching up with a masked singer, <laughs> which uh, had a little controversy this week. Uh, so, you know, uh, which was interesting. Yeah, I, I, I read something uh, about the fact that uh, when they unmasked the singer, it was Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. And, spoiler and alert. Seemed, spoiler. <laughs> yeah, that, that seemed to to uh, uh, anger a couple of the judges who mm-hmm. walked off the set, huh? Yeah, I mean, visibly they left it in. I was wondering, you know, I heard about this this taping in February because I follow the show. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really fun show. And then when Rudy Giuliani was unmasked this week, um, Ken Jong, who's a judge on the show, comedian, actor, uh, was visibly upset. And he ended up, they ended up keeping it in where he just stormed off, you know, the show, which I thought was completely uh, unprofessional. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know I, I find that ridiculous when, when people go on like Dancing with the Stars or The Masked Singer or some of these shows, you know, they're, they're bringing those types of guests on because they're, 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 they're going for ratings. Of course you know, they, and they And, and I, I just feel as though regardless of people's political leanings, when they go on a show like this, they're human beings. Yeah. Well, the motive, he mentioned Giuliani mentioned in um, in the in the the reason Nick Cannon was also very surprised, but said, "Hey, um, you know what? What was your motivation for doing the show?" He said, "Well, I've been a fan of the show since the beginning, and I did it because my grandkids love the show too, and I wanted to be a part of it. I thought it would be fun, and this is the best fun I've had in many many years." But he also mentioned how much he enjoyed being a judge and how many people over the course of his career, over 200, 200 couples had been married under his gavel. And I thought that was a really cool thing because he enjoyed yeah. doing that, you know, and I, and I can't forget also, you know, Giuliani and how he stepped up to clean New York city up and you were there during that time. Dave. I, I, absolutely. You know? you know, something I, I, I think he was a terrific mayor of New York. Um, and uh, he did a lot of good uh, as did Bloomberg uh, who followed in his yeah. shoes. Yeah. During nine uh, 11, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Without question, you know, and look, I mean, just because uh, the guys, you know, got some crazy political leanings today, uh, that that stuff should be shoved aside when when they appear on these types of programs. Exactly. You know, I mean, we're 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 just becoming this the 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 you know society is becoming so intolerant, and uh, they're trying to cancel people, and uh, you know they're. There's the weaponization of politics. It's craziness. You know, people have to take a breath and step back. Well, I, I yes, I, I feel that way. And I think, um, you know, I appreciate Ken's opinion about that, but I can also, I can also look at it and say, Hey man, you know, it's a game show. Just let's just relax yeah. and just don't say any, you know, I was always raised. If you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it at all. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that is what's going on this week, but we've but got, wait a-, a second. What else have you watched? Cause you, you, you made a comment to me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> come on. So, Spill the beans here. Uh, okay. So I've fallen into the trap, Dave. I've, I've gone down that rabbit hole of watching the Depp herd trial. Hey, now, let me ask you something. That's going on uh, in Virginia. Yes. Uh, are you watching it live? I am watching it live as I work. Wow. And uh, and has your opinion changed? Uh, my opinion hasn't changed. 
at all since the very beginning. I, I tried to look at this from the eyes of someone that says, you know what, the truth will play itself out. Yeah. And even though I am a fan, I'm more than a fan of Johnny Depp. I really, um, I really appreciate his body of work because I've seen yeah. so many of his films. So my heart is, is invested because I personally have invested a lot of time and money uh, yeah. into watching the superstar over the course of my lifetime. I've watched sure. Johnny from nightmare on Elm street and 21 jump street. Gilbert all, grape. Uh, all, yeah, all, yeah, exactly. Right? Gilbert grape, Edward yeah. Scissorhands, the whole nine. Yeah, and I had gone on record on other shows saying that I appreciate the fact that he loves children and goes to these children hospitals dressed up as yeah. John, as uh, as Captain Jack and sure. does this all this stuff. So when these things came out, I'd already seen how his ex wives and well ex wife and other relationships went on a writer throughout time and whatever had always had very positive things to say as well as his co-stars. So this to me, when this accusation came out and the divorce happened in 2016, I was, I was like, wow, this is really shocking. And how much, you know, Hollywood had kind of blacklisted Depp because of these accusations. And now things are coming, coming to light and he is not a perfect person. No one's perfect. We're all human beings, but it's just amazing how, this narrative has been kind of strewn over time. So my hope is that people can heal, move on and yeah. that, you know, whatever career path the two of them decide to go that they, I wish them all the best. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I, you know, this, I haven't seen too much of it. I've just seen some highlights that were on, on the news. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. I too am a huge fan of Johnny Depp. He's got an incredible body of work. Um, I think it's disappointing that Hollywood has turned its back on him. And I also, I, I, I find distasteful uh, the fact that uh, our, our society and our culture today is uh, canceling people before they've even had a fair shake at presenting their side of the story. Sure. You know, it's almost like when, when something breaks in the news, the moment it breaks, the person's guilty and, you know, their agency's firing them and they're being dropped from projects and this and that. And it's like, wait a second, you know, this is a country that's founded on, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're not guilty until you have a fair trial trial. Exactly right. You so know, you're presumed to be not guilty. So, right. You know, and like I said, you know, I, I allow this stuff to take place in, in the courts and the courts will decide, you know, what is, what is, what is, uh, you know, appropriate, but uh, you know, people are human, you know, yeah. and uh, that doesn't forgive heinous, you know, crimes against other people that others have, have perpetrated over time, you know, but uh, in this particular case, it's uh, uh, it's just very uh, telling. I'll just yeah. leave it at that, you know, because right. it's an ongoing. We'll see how thing. it turns out. We'll see how it turns out. I tell you what, uh, also broke the internet this week are a few trailers that we're going to talk about right now. Skull Rock Podcast ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Breaking the internet, Dave. Is Chris Hemsworth. I I, I, I gotta tell you, I love this trailer. Isn't it awesome? 
Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah. The official trailer, the official teaser uh, <laughs> is out there, and you've got to watch it. It's got a great soundtrack to it. I'm going to play a little bit of it for our 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 listening audience so that they can check out some of this. Listen. My superhero days are over. You ever feel lost? Just look into the eyes of the people that you love. (laughs) Okay, so just look into the eyes of the people you love. And here (laughs) is Star-Lord Chris Pratt looking at the fellow guardians in the back. And here comes Thor's face looking like a Pantene Pro-V hair ad, you know, (laughs) with the, you know, with the, uh, with the eye, the blue piercing eyes, which by the way, he, when did he get his other eye reverted back to blue? He used to have a, a, a yeah, he had a patch on, but you know what? I'm sure they're going to answer that question at the beginning of the show. Yes. uh, uh, When the movie releases, but you know, I have to tell you, what a great trailer. Yes. I can't wait to see this movie. Yes. And the other thing I have to say is that song is really an iconic tune. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. I mean, it, it just, it, it, it brings back a flood of memories. It brings chills to my the back of my head because I remember the young Al John sitting in grade school now, and I, I mentioned this in times past, Dave, I used to really love drawing and uh, it was my goal before I discovered the electric guitar, before I discovered guitar to work for Disney uh, or Marvel as a, as a penciler or inker. So Mm -hmm. I would do these elaborate, I would, I would look at, you know, the Rolling Stones covers of these different magazines and I would draw all the album covers and stuff, stuff, stuff like that on the covers, the, you know, we used to cover our hardback books in school. Yeah, And uh, I would do that for all of my friends. So they'd all have custom artwork, like album covers on their um, their school books. And so Guns N' Roses was like the number one band back in 98, uh, 1998. So I, I, or 1988. <laughs> wow, 1988. So I would draw all the Guns N' Roses stuff. And this brings me back to 1988, 1987. And, um, and I love it. Absolutely love it. And the force gump of it all at the very beginning you know, yeah. where he's, you know, running and working out yeah. and losing that. It was like very Forrest Gump-like. So I almost got shades of Forrest Gump watching this trailer. Yeah, yeah. And then the very, and the very last, the very last, the reveal of the Lady Thor. The Lady Thor. Lady Thor. Very cool. I'm looking forward to seeing yeah, what's going on there. Be, when is this movie dropping? Do we know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, of course, we have the uh, the Doctor Strange film coming out here in a few weeks. But yeah. this one, Thor Love and Thunder, opens in theaters July 8th of this Excellent. year. Of course, uh, you've got Taika Waititi as Korg. You've got Tessa Thompson coming out as uh, coming back as King Valkyrie. And Natalie Portman, Jane Foster, Lady Thor, who has the hammer. Awesome. Wow. With Chris Hemsworth. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. And uh, another great. Yes, Dave. I was going to say another great trailer that dropped was uh, Lightyear. The official trailer. Number two. Number two. Uh, Can you believe it? And and 
this is a terrific trailer as well. I, I encourage people to to look look this one up. Exactly. Lightyear, the official trailer too. Yeah, we'll play a little a little bit of it. In failure imminent in three. Grandma always said she believed in you too. One. There was a big swirly too. Oh, I think I need a bag. No, no. Please record your last words. Do not vomit inside the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> really big action scenes here for this. I'm, so this one opens in theaters June 17th, and the voices are Chris Evans as Buzz Lightyear. Really cool there. I mean, um, I you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Uh, you know, the first trailer was awesome. This trailer is, is great. Uh, really get a flavor for this picture. And, uh uh, you know, it looks like it's going to be another one they hit out of the park at Pixar. I love the fact that Michael Giacchino is doing the music for this. He's done so, he's done music for so many of their films. He is amazing. He's an amazing yeah. composer, super geek, and I have nothing but uh, the utmost respect for Michael Giacchino. Yeah. I feel like his his life is right up there with the likes of like a, a Horner, or, you know, or a yeah. Well, you know, I, I dare say Robert uh, John Williams, but John Williams is yeah. is a uh, I think he's pretty untouchable, but it's great stuff there for sure. Uh, so moving on with that, uh, another thing that is causing up a stir is once again, Florida Build and Disney Special Tax District heads to Governor DeSantis for the signature. A big setback in the Florida operation. Uh, the House uh, passed the bill uh, to a, uh, what, 70-38 vote, vote on that, uh, I guess, uh, the Reedy Creek uh, Improvement District is going to be dissolved, Dave. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's going to that quickly because, you know, there uh, there there's going to be I mean, I'm sure DeSantis is going to sign it. Uh, you know, again, this is a glaring example of weaponizing politics to yes. crush people that criticize you. Yes. Uh, I think this is wrong. Um, and there's an unintended consequence here because I have to tell you that this morning, uh, breaking this morning was was oh. a uh, uh, a note uh, on uh, CNBC okay. uh, that was talking about uh, the fact that uh, uh, th if this goes through, there's going to be a uh, a debt bomb that drops on Orange County and Osceola. Uh, county, yeah. uh, the the two counties that that Disney's property is straddling, I guess. Yes. Uh, and uh, this is this is not going to be a good thing uh, at all uh, because and I, and I'm just going to uh, pull this up because I I really want people to to understand what's what's happening. I okay. I think there's going to be obviously some lawsuits. Uh, 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 fighting this, uh, and uh, it, it's it's just not gonna uh, end well, uh, you know, because uh, if they dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement District, you're going to see uh, a number of uh, 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 services, you know, municipal services that that Disney has been paying for. That that's going to have to become the responsibility of these counties. 
Yeah. You know, and uh, and what the headline says is that the Florida taxpayers could face a one billion dollar Disney debt bomb if its special district status is revoked. And and that means that if the special district uh, is eliminated, Orange and Asa. Osceola, it, Osceola, County. Osceola, Osceola counties yeah. would have to provide the local services currently provided by the special district, which is what Disney's paying for. Yeah. Which means that the legislatures and tax ex- experts warn the bill creates an even larger potential problem for taxpayers in the form of bonds totaling more than a billion dollars. Yeah. So, so this is, this is one of those, you know, the unintended consequences of somebody being nasty and weaponizing politics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 I, and by the way, I read one report where it was going to cost people living in those counties upwards of, of $2,200 per person. Yeah. You know, per, per household a year. Yeah. We, you know, that that's one of those things that uh, once again, you know, you, you want to weaponize politics. You, you strike me, I strike you. Everyone is a, a casualty of this unintended, unintended um, bill. And you know, so, and, and it's so ridiculous. I mean, honestly, well, um, yeah. this could have been avoided, but you know what? This is a hiccup in the road. I, I think this is going to resolve itself. I, I, I have total faith uh, in, in the leadership at the company that they're going to get through this. Um, and who knows what will happen to Bob JPEG in the, in the meantime, well, I think that's, you every, know, that's I, a big I, question. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's certainly a, a quagmire. I'll put it to you that way. Wow. That is putting it kindly. Yes. Uh, but Hey, look, we have more great stuff to move to, to change the tone and tenor of this podcast to, to, uh, to what's going on at Disney plus. Dave, a brand new Disney Original Plus, uh, Disney Plus Original Series, Genius MLKX from National Geographic taps Reggie Rock uh, by the wood and Gina Prince by the wood as executive producers joining executive producers Brian Grazer and Ron Howard. So are you familiar with this uh, new series or this new show? I have no idea what it, what this is about. Yeah, the first for the franchise, fourth installment will focus on two iconic geniuses, Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And this is subsequent seasons of the Emmy Award anthology series produced by Imagine Television and 20th Century Television will stream on Disney+. Plus. Uh, this is going to be a, uh, a special for the, the, the genius series. Um, so there you go. You want more information about how these men kind of shape the world in which we live. Uh, you know, that's coming. And once again, uh, I, I, it's going to be good to see because uh, I'm a big fan of Ron Howard's, uh, documentary series. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it, it, it should be terrific. And, and both Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, were two huge figures in the 1960s. Absolutely. You know, so, who, yeah. who, who, who still resonate today. Absolutely. Uh, two, two different views on, on where racial and economic justice is coming from. So you could definitely check, check that series out when it drops coming soon. So uh, here we are, Disney Plus, a lot of great stuff. You know, uh, we were talking about Moon Knight, the season finale 
of, of the season one is going to be dropping here on Wednesday, May 4th, just a few days away. Can you believe it? And Unbelievable. Then, yeah. The Disney Gallery of the Book of Boba Fett will also be premiering on that same day, May 4th, uh, because it is Star Wars May the 4th Be With You Day. <laughs> so be sure to mark your calendars for that. Uh, I can't wait to see that. You'll also be seeing on Wednesday, May 11th, Marvel Studios assembled the making of Moon Knight following that. And then, Dave, here's the series I want you to to take a look at. The Quest will be premiering on Disney yes. Plus, which is brought to you by the award-winning teams bringing you that kind of cosplay, live-action, survivor uh, game, which will be really neat. Uh, we've also talked about Sneakerella before as well, which is kind of a reimagining of the Cinderella uh a Cinderella narrative, uh, you know, brought to life in an urban environment with a uh, a man, a young man who is seeking uh, fame and fortune, uh, being a sneaker designer. So you can check that out, and and also Dave, for you, I'm making mark of this. You'll get to see the brand new Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It's not a reboot; it's a comeback show. Uh, that movie <laughs> is coming coming Friday, May twenty seventh, whether you like it or not. All right. And then uh, <laughs> last but not least, we do have Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, which is going to be debuting in two parts. Friday, May 27th at the end of the month, part one and two, which marks the return of Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen to reprise the roles of Obi-Wan Kenobi, o- Kenobi and Darth Vader, respectively. So I'm looking, I'm forward, looking to forward to it. Absolutely. Dave, that is all the news that is. Oh, I'm sorry. We have one more thing. I have to mention, <laughs> and this is this is a, the interesting thing. Did you know, Dave, uh, between all the quagmire situations that Disney has found itself in over the past, uh, the, the vid years, as I will say, Disney is ranked number one in the brand's intimate intimacy study. Do you know what being an intimate brand is, Dave? <laughs> and I'm not talking about Victoria's Secret. I, I was just about to say, is that anything to do with Victoria's Secret? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what it actually means. Uh, it uh, mo- uh, Many of us associate the company with our childhood, making us feel nostalgic. Many of us just love the escape from reality that we get from the Disney parks. But now this new study from MBLM's brand intimacy study uh, is how the brand affects our emotions. This is the second time since 2019 that Disney has ranked the highest in the study, which uses artificial intelligence to look how consumers bond to specific brands, right? So you have this little Venn diagram that I see here is that uh, in indulgence, it rates a 39 out of 100, fulfillment, 41%, identity, 34%, enhancement, 37%, ritual, 36%, and nostalgia being the highest rank at 56%. So what does that mean? So here's the quote from the brand. Leveraging big data and artificial intelligence takes the emotional science behind brand performing to the next level. This new methodology gives us a broader, more time insight as to how we access authentic and vivid sentiments from all consumers coming from Mario Natalie, the managing partner, in a press release. Um, that basically says that uh, they are striking the right chord with uh, the consumers out there. That's basically what that means. 
Wow. And they spent all that money spent to, all come that up money with to that. come up with that. Yeah. Well, we could have told them that. Yeah. Number one in the hearts of fans <laughs> uh, based on nostalgia and brand intimacy. So, yes, they hold they hold our hearts in their hands. Disney does. Uh, OK. All right. I think we should get on with uh, some uh, a good conversation with our upcoming guest here. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, once again, we have a fantastic guest and I'm actually really excited about this because, you know, one of the uh, little known facts about me is that uh, I like poetry. I read poetry uh, no. and uh, I'm very excited to introduce the Nebraska state poet, Matt Mason, to the Skull Rock podcast. Matt, welcome. Hey, my pleasure to be here. Awesome. You know, it, it's really great to have you on. And and I have to tell you, uh, I'm, I'm excited because of a couple of things. A, you write poetry, but uh, B, you have a brand new collection of poetry that is releasing this month. And it's called At the, Con- At the Corner of Fantasy in Maine, Disneyland, Midlife and Churros. And there, it's a collection of poetry all about Disneyland. So I'm excited about that. But first, I want you to tell our listeners, if you would, how do you, how did you get into poetry, and how does one become a state poet laureate? Because you really are a state poet laureate. But even though you only can say you're you're the Nebraska state poet, and you'll tell us that story too. So start from the beginning, and I'll shut up. Hey, no problem. I. I uh, I started writing poetry in high school, even though I thought I hated poetry in high school, um, you know, taking poetry classes and all. But I found that when I wrote things that looked like the things we were studying, it helped me, uh, you know, just kind of process the world a little bit. And, you know, I'm a high schooler. There was a girl who was not calling me back. And uh, so poems happened. Kept writing, eventually figured out you can write about other things uh, than than that, and uh, just kept doing it. Um, and in Nebraska, we've got state poets uh, because we had a state poet laureate, John G. Nyhart, named in, I think, 1922, um, who retains that title to this day, even though he died in the 70s. Um, Nebraska does things a little differently. And he was named our poet laureate in perpetuity by the state legislature. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So they had to come up with a new title for the next person. Um, It was a fantastic poet named Bill Clefcorn, who when people say Nebraska state poet, I still think of him before I think of myself. Um, And he was the state poet for uh, more than 30 years. And, after he passed away, they changed it to a five-year term, and um, that's where I'm at. In in year three, almost the end of four years. Um, so, so you have like one more year, and then can you can you be be you know nominated again or or appointed again to another term? You can. I, I don't think I will because I think. Um, I, you know, I've gotten a lot out of my term as state poet and I think it's time for somebody else. And, and, and it's probably, I, I'm imagining it's like really crazy because you go out anywhere and the girls are screaming and oh, they, there's always. Matt Mason, the state poet, right? Yep. 
Okay. Everybody's screaming. The uh, media <laughs> requests are insane. You know, it's it's uh, it's too much. So. When you're hot, you're hot. There you go. That, that, that's what it boils down. But let me ask you this: When you were in high school and you were writing poetry, did did you feel like poetry? Uh, I mean, uh, music lyrics are poetry in my mind, right? I mean, yes. it, it's verse, so there, there's a very close correlation to to music lyrics. So were you sort of like playing around with trying to write like song lyrics or anything like that, or were you really strictly going for poetry? I was strictly doing poetry because my um, musicality is horrifyingly bad. Uh, uh, that um, makes two of us. <laughs> I am not a musician. Um, but yeah, poetry just kind of helped me, you know, in high school, you've got a lot going on in your head and a lot going on in your heart. And I was a stereotypical man with a, a wall in between the two. And um, even though I didn't like the poetry we were studying, um, I found that when I wrote it, it helped put a door in that wall so I could process the world a little bit better. Well, you know, I know that there's been a lot of studies done uh, about how how poetry affects the brain. And, mm-hmm. and, and I know poetry triggers an, an emotional response like music does. Yeah. And they've done a number of studies where it sort of lights up regions of the right hemisphere, the creative side of your brain. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I've also read a little bit where, you know, there there's people uh, claiming that poetry makes us smarter overall. Clearly, uh, it does. I, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of feel like because I read it, I must be smarter. Or I must appear smarter, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and also, though, poetry does boost the memory and and it encourages self reflection. I mean these these are like l- legit uh, um, outcomes of studies about poetry in the brain, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, there's a reason the arts have been part of human culture as long as there's human culture. You know, poetry visual art, dance, music, all of it. Uh, they're all things that help our brains. And, you know, when I say I didn't like poetry in high school, it's because I had a limited view of what poetry was. I didn't consider, you know, I considered song lyrics something different. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd say, I don't like poetry. And then I'd go quote Pink Floyd and Rush lyrics. Um, That's right. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's all poetry. There's, I think, there's so many different genres of poetry, not just this one kind of um, maybe difficult, maybe older uh, art form. Well, yeah, but I mean, the the way there's different genres of music, there's different yeah. genres of poetry. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I, um, I, I had written the foreword or an introduction, I guess it was, uh, to a collection of Christmas poems. And, and I just want to read one little bit uh, of that uh, for everybody to hear, because I think this kind of summed it up for me. And it says, I think that if you ask many different people what poetry is, you'll get many different answers. That's because poetry affects each of us differently with its focus on words, how they sound, the textures, the verse patterns, and word choice and interpretations. All of that creates a verbal music, a rhythm, a cadence, a beat that produces an emotional response in each of us deep within our soul. 
And and that that kind of summed it up for me when I was writing that introduction to that collection of Christmas poems. Um, I mean, what 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 are your thoughts? Yeah, well, no, I think I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I think what poetry at its best does is it makes you feel what the poet wanted you to feel. Um, you know, poetry tells stories too; it tells histories and and all that, but it's centered in a in a language that's trying to translate from human emotion to words. And, you know, we, anybody who tries to tell someone what you feel about them knows that that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a good poem will take, not just tell you a story that you understand in your brain, but tell you a story that you understand in your body, I think. In your heart. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I want to ask stomach and stomach, of course. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, let me ask you this, uh, what, uh, what's the connection with you and Disneyland? Because, you know, we're, we're sort of this, you know, Disney centric podcast. And so we have a lot of, uh, folks from the Disney fan community that are listening and, and you're one of them. I mean, you're, you're a Disney fan, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So get, give us a little background on that. And like the first time you went to Disneyland and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The first time I went to Disneyland, I was a four-year-old, uh, went with my family, my parents, brothers and sisters. And, you know, went a few times when I was in college because I was uh, in the Bay Area. So five hours away, not in Nebraska at that point. And once after college um, and then didn't go again for a while until 2015 when I, brought my wife and my two daughters and we went. Um, but what started the book, I mean, at that point, I'm, you know, I'm a Disney fan. I love Disney and Pixar movies, especially, and have great memories of Disneyland. Um, but something happened a few years ago. I basically right about the same time I turned 49 years old, I, uh, had what I thought at the time was a pretty embarrassing midlife crisis that seemed so much like a bad sitcom of, you know, waking up one day and not being able to stop thinking about Disneyland. So I'm looking up YouTube videos, looking up podcasts, articles, books, um, just kind of obsessively um, looking up Disneyland history and not writing about it because um, I it's like, this is kind of ridiculous. But then my wife is also a poet. And after a few months of this where she, you know, gets in the car and I'm immediately switching the radio from a podcast to, you know, some bad song on the radio. Um, she's saying, listen, you're doing all the research, do the writing. Uh, so I started writing Disneyland poems and finding out where this obsession came from. And did, did, did you write this collection in one sitting? Was it over? I, I know that's a ridiculous question. I know you're <laughs> laughing. Uh, our audience didn't see you just practically, you know, spit a, uh, a mouthful of liquid out of your mouth. No, but, but I mean, you know, I, I, I'm trying to understand the process of writing poems and how they come to you and, and when do you write them, you know? Yeah, it started slowly. Um, I mean, I had a lot of material and it just kind of took time to get it processed in my head, places to start. 
Um, I, my schedule is I, I have a deadline of Monday night to start a new poem every week. And I might start more than one, but I have to start at least one poem by Monday night. Um, so I'm always looking for things to write about. So poems will come out slowly. They aren't usually linked too much to the one the week before, but this time, you know, they were coming out a little bit more linked, a little bit more Disney centered. Um, and it just kind of really the bulk of the writing happened over those first probably two years. Um, and then after that, there was a lot of editing, a lot of honing, a lot of kind of trying to put poems in the right order for a book, uh, all that. And when you're writing poems, uh, is it is it like, you know, when I write a book, I I write it and then I rewrite it and rewrite it, and rewrite it. Is it the same with poetry? Are you you constantly sort of uh, um, uh, cobbling the words and and, and sort of uh, uh, just editing yourself and trying to get it down to a succinct number of crisp words? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, uh, I've, it does not come out in just one, you know, sitting and boom, the poem is born. Um, it takes, for me, a lot of editing. Uh, I think partly because, I mean, realistically, I don't look at myself as a great writer, but I, I do think I'm, a, I'm very skilled as an editor. I write down good ideas and then I mess with them for months or years uh, until they kind of, look right and sound right. And, and that, and that's, I mean, that's the basis of, of, of poetry though, right? Because I know there's different genres of poetry, but you, you really do have to have that rhythm, that, that cadence and, and break it into verse uh, uh, or verses. And, uh, and that takes time, right? Oh yeah. takes a lot of time. And, and to just figure out what, what the right form for it is. Like in this book, a few things came out as form poems, you know, there's one that's kind of an, a little bit off, but mostly a sonnet, uh, one, one that's a little bit off, but it's mostly a villanelle and others have rhyme. Others do not have rhyme. Um, but it's, it's figuring out that when I read it out loud, does it sound like the rhythm I had in my head when I'm thinking about the poem, um, and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's finding the right words, finding the right rhythms, finding, uh, just making sure that it feels emotionally right and seeing what happens. Can we step back for a second? Because you used uh, a couple of uh, fancy poetry terms. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I'd i like you to sort of break those down a little bit for our audience. Um, you know, because when, you, when you're talking about uh, verse or, or rhyming, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people uh, out in the world are, you know, used to sort of nursery rhyme kind of rhyming uh, poems. Yeah. Um, or if they're, you know, slightly more sophisticated, uh, maybe they've read some Robert Frost. Uh, uh, but um, can you talk a little bit about uh, those different terminologies that you used? Yeah. I, you know, one a sonnet is kind of a famous 14 line uh, kind of a poem. Um, it's famous for a few different you know, English and Italian versions of it as far as the form goes, but it's a certain rhyme scheme, um, certain syllable counts, supposed to be a certain rhythm. 
Um, and so I, my sonnet is kind of a combination of a Shakespearean sonnet and an Italian sonnet. So it's a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a mess, but I think it works for what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. It's a little bit of a messy. No, no, it's a hybrid. It's what it is. Yeah. It's hybrid. <laughs> it's hybrid work. Thank you for that, Al. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the villanelle is one of my favorite forms of poetry. It's a French form that has a certain amount of repetition to it. Um, and a certain rhyme scheme and I love them and I always mess them up. But um, sometimes, I mean, English, the English language is a horrible language to rhyme in, in my opinion. Um, you know, Robert Frost can do it. Um, you know, uh, different rappers can do it just beautifully. Um, but it doesn't, it, it, you know, it just doesn't uh, make for good rhyme in, in a lot of ways. So I have fun trying to write certain form poems. And if I, when it gets to the point where I need to bring in a hammer to make it work, I just settle with something a little bit off. So, so, so hybrid. Yes. <laughs> and that's why you see, and that's yeah. why it's a craft. People, you know, they throw around the crafts crafts person terminology. Well, he's wordsmithing. He's he really wordsmithing. is. He's, he's wordsmithing. He's with a chisel, uh, he's working on the words, yeah. and so, if it won't fit, he, yeah. So so there are rules. Uh, yeah, certain types of poems where, you know, you, you know, each line uh has to do a certain thing to get to a final verse uh or a final line in a poem yeah yeah definitely um and you know there's so many things like that that we see um well do you want me to read the yes i, the I was just about to say this is the point where i would love for you to read a poem <laughs> from your collection at the corner of fantasy in maine disneyland midlife and churros all right so the this is the one that's almost a villanelle. And one good thing about this book is if you really know poetry and how it's supposed to be put together, you can go, oh, that guy, he gets this wrong. So you can feel superior. Okay, so, cool. Uh, so the, and a villanelle, it depends on repetition of the first and third lines throughout the poem. It comes in a certain amount of stanzas and it rhymes a certain way, but eh, just listen. It's good. Um, so Mr. Toad's wild rhyme. You're just another aging man growing brittle, out of shape, preoccupied with Disneyland. Another day without a plan, another stumble, misstep, mistake for just another aging man looking for something more grand than emails and meetings and frustration. So you're preoccupied with Disneyland, where yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy are supposed to replace today for just another aging man. And maybe that's survival, necessary sleight of hand, salvation in escape, in preoccupation with Disneyland, on a wild ride that maybe will only complicate your comprehension of obsession's weight when you're just another aging man preoccupied with Disneyland. Yay, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> applauding, I'm applauding. Yes, applause. Thank you. Uh, that that was that was wonderful. Uh, and, and again, uh, this collection of poems are all centered around Disneyland, which I I find really fascinating. And by the way, I've read the entire book, yeah. cover to cover, in one sitting, 
Wow. Yes. I'm proud of in you. one sitting. <laughs> but I will I will tell people, I will tell our audience that, you know, most most of the time, like I have these little uh thrift version paperbacks from Dover lying around my office and my house, you know, of various poets. And I just occasionally pick them up and I flip to a poem and I will read that poem not as eloquently as our guest Matt has read, written, oh, excuse me, has read his poem. Uh, but uh, I still, you know, read them silently. Uh, I don't want to generally read them out loud because I'm usually reading them by myself anyway. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, uh, you know, to me, there, there's something enjoyable about it and relaxing and it, it does have, a, you know, I keep going back to the, the fact that it sparks something on the creative side, the right side of our brains um, uh, that is really kind of a cool thing. Um, I loved it. I thought, yeah. I thought it was great. I felt like I was, I was there because you, you were actually putting things in, in reading thoughts that have, that I have actually thought myself. So I put myself in, in, in that poem and I thought it was just great. I mean, you, I hate to use the word wordsmith, but there you go again, you're, you're, you're putting me in that place. And I felt like I was, I was living that, or I live that, you know, that is something I can relate to. Plus as a musician, uh, some people don't know this. I'm a musician, but I could totally see you going to a comic book convention or a D23, reading this prose and having some accompaniment behind you, like Will Wheaton does when he does his uh, his poetry slams <laughs> at Comic Con. So Al John, totally, you play guitar. I I know a guy. I, yeah, I know a guy. I mean, Al John, you you could you could do this with Matt at I a comic could, convention. I totally totally could. <laughs> I'm in. I'm, a, I'm, I'm right. there. So, uh, so Matt, uh, I, I'm just going to give a quick plug for um, uh, the book, and I want to continue our discussion. But at the corner, corner of Fantasy and Maine, Disneyland Midlife and Churros by Matt Mason is a wonderful collection of poetry about Disneyland uh, in, in Southern California. And uh, it's published by the Old Mill Press. And it's available for order right now uh, at theoldmillpress.com if people want to go there. Uh, and it's also available at other uh, online retailers. Uh, the book was being released uh, this month, April of 2022, because it's National Poetry Month. Well, so it right. made sense. Yes. But, you know, because of the pandemic and all kinds of uh, supply chain disruptions. Oh, uh, and, and it's amazing how all of us have become supply chain experts uh, <laughs> uh, over the last two years. I, it really is kind of surprising. You know, I don't think I've used the word supply chain so many times uh, over the last couple of years, you know, and it's just the de facto excuse now is, oh, the supply chain has uh, broken down uh, anyway uh, but the book is shipping as soon as uh, as soon as that supply chain gets its act together okay. and uh, so Matt back to the poetry do you do you teach poetry do have you taught poetry I have I've taught creative writing um, at a, a few different universities and colleges uh, mainly in Nebraska um, 
And lately I've been running a nonprofit that uh, works in high schools, middle schools and correctional facilities, mainly teaching creative writing. Um, though I'm leaving that job in a few months and going to see what I can do as a writer and, uh, you know, a speaker. You, so. You're taking the plunge. I you, am. You're going to write full time. That's the goal. I, I've got a, just a year and a half left as state poet. And I figure if I don't try it now, when am I going to try it? Awesome. I look forward to having your companionship on the bread line. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but uh, so this this collection, this is not your first collection. Uh, can you can you tell our audience a little bit about uh, your previous books that have come out? Uh, you you've put out quite a number, like four or yeah. five uh, collections no, of poetry. No, this will be my fourth. So um, I've got three previous, and I was a little slower. There was basically one every seven years or so. Um, okay. Uh, but my first one is called uh, Things We Don't Know We Don't Know. And it's kind of an, a, a, a very loose love story and collection of different poems from early on. Um, my second poem is called The Baby That, or second book's The Baby That Ate Cincinnati, which is about being a dad uh, as well as about horror movies. Um, I, love, I love that title. I think that's fantastic. And, and by the way, I love the cover of that book. There's nice. like a giant monster baby, uh, you know, going through <laughs> the city of uh, supposedly Cincinnati, I guess. Is, is that, is that yeah. you, Matt? Is that <laughs> a you? caricature of Cincinnati? <laughs> but is that you on the cover of that as a baby? No, it is oh. actually modeled after my oldest daughter as oh, a wow. baby. Oh, nice. Wow. Very nice. Wow. Wow, she must shoot you dirty looks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she's on a book cover. There you go. <laughs> and, and and after the baby that ate Cincinnati, that's uh, I have a poem the size of the moon, which is mainly uh, poems about Nebraska and outer space. Oh wow, uh, that's kind of interesting. You know, yeah. when I think of Nebraska, I don't necessarily think of poetry. Yeah, you know, I think. I, we we fly under the radar. Um, there's a lot of fantastic poets in Nebraska, though. Um, you know, Ted Kuzer is here as well as dozens of others. So, uh, and, and, who are really and, fantastic. And, and, and do you do a regular circuit of uh, like doing poetry readings when you have a collection coming out? Or, I mean, are there gatherings? I, I know there are in Los Angeles. I've been to a few. Um, uh, pre-pandemic, I haven't been to one in two years, but, but, um, is that sort of the normal thing? Do you travel around just Nebraska or the region? I mostly travel around Nebraska, but get around a little bit further. Um, I've done, you know, in the past few years, done readings in Iowa and, um, Missouri and California. Um, so I, I love to travel to read poems. You know, um, uh, out here in California, in Santa Clarita, California, there's an annual cowboy poetry festival. Are you aware we of that? We have one here too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have one in Valentine every year. And, and is it only allow cowboys in or can anybody <laughs> go? Cowboy poet. Well, anybody can attend, but they, you know, they really want the poets who, who do the, the cowboy style, which is fantastic storytelling, uh, rhythm and rhyme style that, that's a lot of fun. And, and when you say the cowboy style, is that more of a classic poetry style? Would you, would you say it's, it's a classic poetry style? Yeah. 
I, I definitely would. It, it's you know, a little tighter rhythm, a little tighter rhyme, um, and just all about really, you know, telling these stories. So, um, which is kind of a co- correlation to country music. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because because mo- most of the, most of the country music is, is they're really stories. You know, it's uh, heartbreaks and you know breakups and falling in love and, and pick up you know and, yeah, yeah pickup trucks and you know wrecking your boyfriend's car and things like that. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know. Anytime, yeah. Alja. Anytime you can jump in. Alja, <laughs> no, 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 I'm out. I'm out. You're, you're in Nashville for crying out. Uh, this is true. This is true. I was going to say we we have a lot of those uh, those uh, struggling artists here, as well as people that do make it. But I mean, there is a, that that correlation, uh, you know, between that songwriting, as you mentioned before, and 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 the poetry. I mean, both are great crafts, and and everybody has their own rhyme and and, and meter. And Matt, you even talked about rap and hip hop. You know, there's a lot of that that goes on, and certain rappers have a certain style. And I'm oh, curious yeah. to see, you know. You know, as musicians are influenced, you have got to be influenced by some of the greats as well. Do you have a particular poets that you that you like um, that you can refer our audience to? You know, to get into it. I mean, I mean, there are so many great popular writers, but who 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 influences you? It's a pretty broad range. Yeah, you know, I love uh, folks who are a little bit more recent, like. Uh, Galway Cannell, um, Denise Duhamel, Patricia Smith are all just brilliant writers. Um, but also, you know, I, even though I say I didn't like poetry in high school, I've gone back to some of them. Um, John Keats and uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, I go back on and love. Uh, Robert Frost, I think, is uh, just brilliant. So, um, you know, and then folks like I mentioned earlier, Ted Kuzer, he's one of my favorites. Uh, Local writers like Zadika Poindexter, Gina Trinisi. Um, there's just a lot of really fantastic poets right now. Glad you mentioned that because a lot of our audience would like to get turned on to some of these new writers that they don't hear from. Everybody hears about the classics, you know, but uh, they don't necessarily hear about the, the the more modern stuff unless you're really into it, right? <laughs> so you got to seek those, seek those people out for sure. It is, and it's kind of tough to find poets these days because there aren't like, you know, there's no Rolling Stone for poetry that I'm aware of. You know, you you want to look, pick up a book of poetry and it's hard to know where to start. Um, and there, you know, there's so many brilliant poets in all different styles. I mean, there's a book of poetry for everybody that's out right now. Um, it's just a matter of how do you find it? Sure. I guess you listen to the Skull Rock podcast and buy this book at the corner of Fantasy and Maine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was a I was a shameless plug by the author. Shameless, Uh, (laughs) nicely, nicely done. (laughs) But you know, uh, it's interesting. I want to ask you because there's poems in your book uh, where the type the the type is designed. Hmm. In other words, it creates a shape on the page. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, what, what is that called? Oh man. Uh, I wish I had a good name for it. Am I putting you on the spot or is it just something that people do? Um, I'm sure there's a name for everything. Um, I don't remember exactly as well for this. I mean, there's a formal name for, you know, poems that look like swans or things like that. 
mine are a little bit more meandering. Um, and part of that's done um, for the sense on the page. And part of it's also done just uh, so if you pick up this book and read it out loud, it acts a little bit like punctuation in some ways. So, so almost, uh, almost uh, uh, like a metronome, a meter. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. In, in, or in just a sense. A little, like a pause or a longer yeah. pause or kind of a softening. I, I mean, I, I actually kind of liked the visuals of it because you're, you're, you're playing with the negative space on the page. Yeah. Uh, and and it, I think just visually it's kind of pleasing. Yeah, I, I think so too. And that's what it's kind of going for is finding the right look for the emotion of the poem and hope that that comes across to the reader too. Well, I, I would love for you to read us another poem. All right. How about, you know, one, now let me start with an early one. So I, I say the first time I went to Disneyland was 1973. Um, I was four years old. So here's a poem called Disneyland 1973. Is so big, so much to see, so crowded, so you, so small, so four years old, see mainly people's butts. But so what? You are wearing Mickey ears with your name cursive on by a sewing machine's golden thread. You are king of this castle, poking in and out of view between pants. You rode a submarine monorail teacup elephant. My God, cotton candy, Coca-Cola, popcorn. Your stomach feels full of fireworks. Please, you can't leave. But oh, man, just a minute. Just a sec to lie down. I love it. Love it. <laughs> there you go. That, that's great. You, you really, you really did capture what it, what it's got to be like at, at, for a four-year-old view. You know. Yeah. Tried to remember my experience there. Um, uh, yeah. And it was kind of fun. You know, was, in the book, there's some. There are a number of poems just with the title like Disneyland, and then the year. There's some poems that just are about the geography of the park, you know, at the corner of fantasy and Maine being one, um, just looking at those different parts of the park where the lands intersect with another land and kind of looking what's there. Um, it was, a, it, you know, some of it's talking about midlife and some of the poems are just talking about space mountain. So. Yeah. I mean, so there, there's a number of, uh, of poems in there that are specific to attractions. Yeah. Uh, which I, I found, you know, really entertaining and, and really enjoyed them uh, because, you know, many of them you know, we've all been on a million times. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and I'm yeah. looking forward to that typography, uh, you know, element that you were talking about, too, because of that art. And that kind of brings that poetry to life. You know, I've seen some of that typography and it's really cool how you can kind of drag someone's eye visually to a certain element and have them pause and then drop a few lines and then, you know, hit them with some kind of, you know, revelation or something in a line. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, a lot of fun to play with. Yeah. That's cool. So Matt, what's next for you? What, what else are you going to do? Um, you know, I, I'm just hoping to take the time to not just write, but gather, I, you know, with a poem a week, I've got a lot of poems through the pandemic and before, uh, I've got a whole lot of stuff to go through that 
I just haven't had the time to, you know, running a nonprofit takes up kind of a lot of bandwidth. So I really just look forward to traveling around Nebraska, especially and beyond um, and doing more writing, editing, publishing, things like that. How long have you been writing a poem a week? Uh, Since 1990. My God. And you've consistently done at least one poem a week. Yes. So you've got like thousands of poems. I do. uh, Somewhere it's getting close to 2,500, I guess. So. Oh, wow. And can you break that down into, I mean, I'm imagining you could put together a variety of collections. Yes. You know, because you've got, (laughs) you must have poems about nature. You must have poems about, you know, current events. Uh, you, You know, I mean, it's whatever, right? Yeah, I've kind of got a book that's uh, ready to come out about 80s rock and kind of other things. Yes, Al John. There we go, Al John. All about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then another that I've got enough poems about current events and another about travel. Um, So I've got a lot of things that I just need the time uh, to be able to put together. So you, you, you have, you, you need time to edit them and to gather yeah. a collection together. What's the typical size of a collection of, uh, of poetry? I mean, is it yeah. like 80 to a hundred poems or, you know? Yeah, kind of, it kind of comes out to pages. I think between 70 and a hundred pages is pretty normal. Um, uh, at the corner of fantasy and Maine comes out to 80 pages. I think it's about 65, 70 poems. Um, yeah, and, nothing and, huge. And, and there's some some uh, in your book there uh, in your fantasy main book there. There's a number of photographs sprinkled in there, including I, I took note of a beautiful picture of uh, Walt in his office uh, towards the back of the book, opposite your uh, your bio. Yes, uh, which I thought was very nice. Yes, all done by the book designers who were fantastic. Um, because what you know, it's it's one thing to have a book of poetry out, but it's another to have it you know designed by someone like uh, the Old Mill Press, who just these are beautiful books. And uh, um, even though most of the um, most of the copies of this are on a boat somewhere, um, I've got one copy in my hand, um, and it's I've, I've been showing it around to everybody. And, and what's the reaction been? What's the reaction? Oh, the reaction has been fantastic. People um, love the look of it. Uh, Are your poet friends jealous? That's what yes. I want to know. Yes. Very, very jealous, right? <laughs> yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Excellent. I love, I love a good book. That's what we like to hear. That's right. You, know? That's right. <laughs> you always want to write a book and make sure somebody, somebody who's a writer friend is a little jealous of your book. <laughs> you know? That's, isn't that the goal of life, really? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. um, and, and then uh, as far as uh, any advice for uh, anybody in the audience who's writing poetry, yeah, well, you know, this poem, this book is a, a real example of how, what poetry can do for us, because it's a, you know, it's a book of poems that started with this weird compulsion or whatever it was, um, and that I resisted writing about. But once I started writing about, I found just, an in, you know, a lot of joy in, in, in the poems that I was writing, 
um, but also eventually figured out why this kind of overwhelming feeling came across. You know, it wasn't just about Disneyland. It wasn't just about Walt Disney. It's about how in my life, Disneyland is a place that I've gone to over different periods of my life. And it ties these periods together because you know, even though it continues to change, those are still the same sidewalks, uh, the same buildings, many of the same attractions. Um, it is very much the same uh, same place I went in 1973 as it was in uh, 2015 or 2018 or yeah. 1986. So, the, the basic, yeah. the, the bones of the place are are are, are yeah. the same. You know, there there's little changes here and there, but but the overall bones of of Disneyland don't seem to change. No, no. And so being there at different points in my life with different people who are important to me at those points, it's like, you know, my dad is ne- he he died in 1990, so he never met my daughters. But you know, uh, there's actually a poem in the book about kind of how they both come together in Disneyland. So because they're your daughters are walking the same streets, the same sidewalks, going into the same attractions that you and your father went into. Yeah, definitely. And you know, my dad was born in Hawaii. So um, I love that his, his birth certificate said the territory of Hawaii because you know, 19, it was before it was before it was a state. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But he loved the magic tiki room. Um, And so, you know, being able to go there with my daughters and have a dole whip was uh, a little bit like, um, Hanging out with my dad. Briefly. Have an, uh, what is it, an $8 Dole Whip now? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that? It wasn't at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was less expensive a few years ago. Supply chain. Just blame it on supply chain. Yeah. It, you know what? It's still worth it. It's still worth yeah, it. It certainly is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well, listen, I, I want to give a plug once more to uh, your book. It's the At the Corner of Fantasy in Maine, Disneyland, Midlife and Churros uh, by Matt Mason, the Nebraska State Poet. And I'm going to say the Nebraska State Poet Laureate. That's right. The heck with the perpetuity business that those people did. Uh, it's Matt Mason, the Nebraska State Poet That's Laureate. Right. And I want to thank you for being on uh, the Skull Rock podcast. And we look forward to uh, having your book out in the world uh, at some yeah. point uh, in the next few weeks or month. Uh, I, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, getting my hard copy of it. So. Yeah, I really look forward to doing a lot of readings for this book. And it's an honor to be here. I listen to you every week. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. 100%. We're looking forward yeah. to a sequel, too. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have you back. We, you know, I think uh, maybe we'll have you back towards the holidays to read some holiday poetry of Ooh, yours. You know, because I'm sure you have a book of holiday poetry. I do. That's one of the folders I have of poems. So, <laughs> see, uh, you know, yeah, you look at see. that. Mm, look at that. That's right. All right. Thanks, Matt. We will. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Al John. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your Main Street to the world of Disney. Wonderful times. Wonderful times with Matt. What a great dude. 
Yeah. You know, he's really terrific. And also, you know, I have to say, I, I'm a big fan of poetry, as I've said. And, uh, you know, I've got all kinds of poetry books uh, in my library. And uh, it really is something that I think more people should read. You yeah. Know? You know what I like about Matt is the fact that he takes these classical forms and yet had adds his own twist to it, being influenced by music and hip hop and different things like that. And I yeah. really appreciate that because once again, art has, you know, uh, whether all the classically uh, classically trained arts that that Dave you you're such a you know uh, a follower of and have studied. Um, it's great that you can take that classical form and yet do something new and something fresh and kind of color outside the box because that's what art is. And I love that about that, you know, you know, I, I'll tell you one thing. I, I think Matt's a collection at the corner of fantasy and Maine, Disneyland midlife and churros, his collection of Disneyland poems is really, this should be in everybody's library as far as I'm concerned. Well, it really should be. Well, you'll find the link to the book there at Old Mill Press. Uh, we're going to put that that link up there so people can go ahead and purchase that book because, as, you know, and I'm going to get my copy. It's going to be super cool and can't wait. And hopefully we'll have uh, Matt back to discuss his next book whenever that re is released and talk more about his love for Disney. So be on the lookout for that. Dave, we've come to yet another end of an awesome show. So please, once again, I would encourage everybody, if you love this podcast, you stuck it through the end please be sure to share the show over social media. Tell your friends and family about it. We'd appreciate it. Don't forget to give us a like, give us a, a subscribe. If you just happen to fall upon this podcast and give us those five-star reviews, we do appreciate it on every podcast platform. Uh, you can also follow us on socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Dave and I are both on there. You can DM us with all your great questions. Be sure to follow the archive of shows and go back and listen to some of those older shows. We do appreciate that as well. We have amazing guests. Check it out at skullrockpodcast.com or anchor.fm where you can also support the show as well and leave us some tips in the old tip jar. Every bit of it will go back into the show and uh, I can't wait. Maybe one of these days uh, we'll, we'll host some contests and stuff for our listeners as well. That'll be a lot of fun. And uh, Dave, you've got the last word as always. Well, thank you very much, Al John. Uh, peace and love to everybody. And Al John, you said uh, uh, we'll host a giveaway. Well, guess what? The Claude Coates book is back in stock. Okay. Let's give a copy away. You and I need to brainstorm how we do that. I, I don't know how to do these contests. You, I, do. I, I rely on you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, we'll set it up. Uh, so we'll, it up. we'll talk offline and we'll figure it out. But let's give a copy of the Claude Coates book away to one of our lucky listeners. And it'll be autographed not only by me, but by Alan Coates, Claude Coates' son. I love it. How's that? Well, okay. That is something uh, else. So with that, as I said, peace and love to everybody. Go out, have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next Monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks 
well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook. The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.